My name is Alex Barthet. I am a board certified construction attorney here in South Florida. So let's talk about how to get paid faster. Um, this is made up of a couple of different things that, that clients ask us about. So can you stop work if you're not getting paid? Um, the answer is it depends and it should be undertaken very carefully if you decide to do that. Um, so the first thing you have to look at is what does your contract say? Um, here's a sentence that we find in many contracts that causes you to keep working. Subcontractors shall diligently proceed with the work during any dispute, even as it relates to payment or changes. The existence of a dispute shall not be grounds for any failure to perform by subcontractor. So if you have a sentence like this in your contract, you're obligated to keep working even if you haven't been paid. As a result, you need to make sure that um, you add in the right to stop work. So again, that sentence looks something like subcontractor can slow or stop work without liability or penalty if it has not been paid its draw request in 30 days after submission. So can you stop work? Maybe, but you have to look at your contract first. Is there a valid pay when paid provision in your contract? You may say as a sub or sub sub, hey, I'm not working. You haven't paid me. You're in breach of the contract. Even if it doesn't have that obligation to continue working, if you have a pay when paid provision in your contract and your contractor is not paying you because they haven't been paid, well, guess what? They're not technically in breach of contract. Again, remember that the magic language of condition precedent or contingent upon has to be in that pay when paid provision for it to be enforceable. Um, before you consider stopping work, have you secured any lien or bond rights? Because once you leave the job, your 90 days to, to lien or to record a note or serve a notice of non-payment, it's going to start running, right? Because that's going to be your last date of work. Do you have any personal financial obligations, such as a personal guarantee with any suppliers or a general agreement of indemnity with your surety? If you do, just know that those obligations will exist even after you uh, stop working from the job and you may have personal liability. I'm not saying that you don't ultimately decide to stop working. My advice to you is, that before you make such a significant move, you have an understanding of the lay of the land so that you make an informed decision before you pull the trigger and not find out afterwards, oh geez, had I known that I issued a bond with a personal guarantee and four of my suppliers have a personal guarantee with me, I would not have stopped working on this job. Again, it's, it's so that you have your eyes open before you make the move. I strongly encourage that before you make any move like this, you talk to a, a seasoned construction lawyer who can guide you through the process and tell you about um, what stopping work looks like. You need to document, document, document. If, if the reason that you're stopping work is because of things unrelated to you on the job, you need to make sure that you have ample documentation to support it. emails, meeting minutes, videos, photos, it's going to be critical information to be used later. Um, 
if you actually bonded the job, maybe you're a bonded contractor on the job, maybe you're a bonded subcontractor, you need to make sure that you notify your surety. You don't want your surety to find out that you've left the job um, before you tell them, right? They don't, you don't want them to get a notice of default before you tell them what you're going to do. And then be ready for the fallout. Obviously, it's going to be a, a very contentious situation if you leave the job. So you just need to be prepared for all the things that are going to happen. Again, the idea is to be aware of the, the groundwork in front of you of what you're going to face if you decide to leave the job. Can I take my materials back if I'm not paid? Well, yes, but only if the materials were not installed and not paid for by the owner. So you may not have been paid, but if the owner paid the contractor for them and they've been delivered to the job site, you technically can't take them. You also cannot take them if in the process of taking them, you're going to what's called breach the peace during the repossession. So if you have 10 pallets of materials and you don't have to, you know, break a lock or open a fence and you can just go and and drive on the property and take what's yours then that doesn't constitute breaching the peace but if you need to you know have bolt cutters to open up the fence so that you can go get your stuff back or if it's been installed or delivered to the job site on different you know kind of uncrated and you know partially installed in the in the project all of that is going to be problematic. You also have to give back the credit for the full purchase price of the repossessed material. So where we see this happen for the supply houses that we represent, um, and we represent many of them, the issue is when they want to take their material back, they say, oh, geez, we have a restocking fee. Well, if you have a restocking fee, you cannot credit back everything but the restocking fee, you have to credit back everything. So for example, let's say it's a uh, switch gear, ele uh, electrical switch gear, or you know, custom plumbing fixtures. If the manufacturer is only going to give you 70% when you return it, so if you pick it up, you're going to have to credit back, let's say $100,000 back to, the, to your customer, but you are only going to get $70,000 back. Well, maybe, you know, you have to make a decision on whether or not you want to do that. There are certain avenues in which where you give a, a credit back to the owner on the lien of 100 cents on the dollar, but you still make a claim to your customer under your credit app for the uh, restocking fee. Again, you have to look at it in advance. Don't, you don't want to find out afterwards that you're stuck with that restocking fee you can't pursue anyone for. Um, if you're prevented from the repossession um, or you have to breach the peace, then you have to file a lawsuit to get your stuff back called replevin, um, meaning you cannot just go take it back yourself. You have to file a lawsuit to go get it back. Um, and the court will, in many instances, give you permission so long as you can show that it's your stuff and it hasn't been paid for by anybody. If I hire a lawyer, can I recover my legal fees and costs? In Florida, there's only two ways to recover your legal fees. 
One, you sue someone for violating a statute and that statute says that the winner gets their legal fees. So the lien statute and the bond statute have the right to recover legal fees. The other way to do it is if you file a lawsuit uh, for a breach of a written agreement and that written agreement says that the prevailing party is entitled to recover their legal fees. Then you are, if you prevail, you should be entitled to at the judge's discretion recover your legal fees. Here's a sample provision of what that looks like. The prevailing party in any action to enforce this agreement shall be entitled to recover its costs and expenses of collection, suit, or other legal action, including all actual attorneys and paralegal fees from the non-prevailing party. So if you have a provision that looks something like this in your agreement, you can recover your legal fees. If, however, you have an agreement, a written agreement that doesn't say this, or you have no written agreement at all, then you will not be entitled to recover your legal fees if you sue for breach of contract or if they sue you for breach of contract. Once I record my lien, what happens next? How do I get paid? As I mentioned before, the, the lien only starts the process. Um, you have one year from the recording date of lien, the recording date of the lien to file the lawsuit to foreclose. There are ways for that to be shortened, but let's assume for now that it, you have a year. I suggest strongly that you practice what I would call the 60-60 rule. Six, no later than 60 days from your last work on the project, that's when you need to start the process of putting together your lien. It takes time. Do not wait till the 85th, 87th, 89th day and everyone's running around like crazy. Start early. Uh, get the paperwork together. Know that in many uh, jurisdictions, you know, at the height of the pandemic, it was taking the clerk of court to electronically record liens, uh, uh, seven days to record liens. So you would submit it and then you would just wait for seven days before the lien actually got recorded. And the, the date that matters isn't the date you submit it, it's the date that it was recorded. So for 60 days thereafter, that's when you hassle your customer and the owner and the contractor for payment. Um, you know, emails, calls, um, leave voicemails, show up in their office, do whatever you can for the next 60 days after recording your lien to try to get paid. Um, if it doesn't work then, that's when you should submit it to a construction lawyer. What we find after doing this for 20 years, I can tell you, it is rare that a case gets better just by waiting, meaning, once you record the lien and you've tried everything you can for a month or two to get paid, if you haven't been successful, unless you have a specific business reason to keep waiting to get paid, you should turn it over to a construction lawyer to get paid because that's when people's minds are fresh. That's when the dispute um, is um, that the facts are most uh, fresh in everybody's mind. We've had cases in which people have retired, have moved away, witnesses have died, and that makes it very tough to collect uh, and, and to litigate your case. The same is true for notices of non-payment. Uh, if I sent my notice of non-payment to the surety, when, when will they pay me? The notice of non-payment is only the start of the process. The claimant typically receives something called a proof of claim in the mail. There's no obligation in Florida to fill out this proof of claim. You can if you want. We typically find that it does not materially increase the likelihood of you getting paid because you filled it out. 
Um, in most instances, um, our advice is not to provide the proof of claim because we find that most sureties use the proof of claim as a way to deny a claim, not a reason to accept it. And most sureties are not gonna pay you unless their bonded contractor, the principal, agrees to pay you first. And that's because the sureties are indemnified by their principal. It's not insurance, it's suretyship, meaning that the principal, if the surety writes a check to you, the principal is gonna have to write a check back to the surety. So they wanna make sure the principal is agreeable first. Just be careful that these periods of times can be shortened. You have one year from your last work to, to file the lawsuit, um, but these periods can be shortened by you receiving certain documents. As I mentioned with the claim of lien, I recommend that you practice the 60-60 rule. 60 days from your last work, you submit the notice of non-payment. For the next 60 days after that, you hassle your customer and the surety and the contractor for payment. Be aggressive, be annoying. That's what's gonna get you paid. But if it doesn't work after those 60 days, that's when you really should submit the claim to a construction lawyer for collection. Your case is not gonna get better because you decided to wait um, till really close to the deadline, uh, the one year from last work to file your lawsuit. So in my advice, in my opinion, except for specific business reasons, maybe this is a small job and you have five others going with the same contractor. Um, but unless you have a good business reason to, to delay, you shouldn't delay. My lien was bonded off. Now what? Um, I think you should celebrate. A, a lien on a property requires a foreclosure sale, which means that any recovery is subject to the sale price at foreclosure, any prior encumbrances like a mortgage or other liens, and that only leaves you with any equity that may be left in the property. Once it's bonded off, that lien now attaches to the surety or cash bond held by the clerk, and that bond is roughly speaking 150% of the lien amount. So if you record a lien for 100 grand for them to bond it off, they need to uh, secure your lien with a bond that's worth $150,000 or they take $150,000 of cash and they give it to the clerk. So that money is sitting there. Um, but in my experience, you should be prepared to fight. Almost always, um, and I would say probably always, it, when we find that a lien is bonded off, that's when someone doesn't wanna pay you. Because think about it, if, if they wanted to resolve it, why would they go through the effort to bond it off? They would pick up the phone and call you, they would try to work things out. The fact that they bonded it off means that they don't want to pay you, which means you're going to have to file a lawsuit. So in my experience, if your lien has been bonded off, you should short circuit the process of collection and go straight to an attorney to file a lawsuit to collect your money on that lien that's been now bonded off. Thanks. Have a great day, everybody.